Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yordana Asband, our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf Ayin Chet, page 78. We are in the weeds, I would say, of the, the discussions of what happens with converts and converts' children and converts' jail, grandchildren, depending on which country they come from. Um, and to add, you know, complications into the mix, we also now have a discussion also of Mamzerim. Uh, moms are again child born out of uh, one of the illicit sexual relationships. Um, I'm starting here on Amad Aleph, but quite a ways into Amad Aleph. Amar Rabba Barbarchana, Amar Biochanan, Mitzri Shenish Rishona. Now we've got here generations, so generations are hard enough when you try to figure out your own cousins. So let's try to keep this straight. I would say this is also warrants a chart, although perhaps a much simpler chart than our Yevamot co wives charts. We have a second generation male Egyptian convert, meaning the child of an Egyptian convert, right? Meaning this person did not convert himself. And he marries a first generation female Egyptian convert, meaning she has converted herself. And that's permissible, right? Meaning they're not allowed to marry into Kahal Hashem. They're not meant to people who are born Jewish, but these are the exactly the, the generations of the conversion. Now, her third, her child is considered, meaning the child of this union, of the second generation man and the first generation female, is considered a third generation convert. And that person is allowed to marry, is mar- allowed to marry somebody who's born Jewish. Meaning the fact that the parents' generations are off does not get in the way here. It seems to be following the father. Meaning they evaluate the child or they evaluate what generation you are um, according to, uh, apparently according to Rabbi Yochanan here, right? Because this is the Manda Arma, that's the name of the statement here, um, that we assign the generation according to the father and not to the mother. Mati Rav Yosef, but Rav Yosef has an objection. He has, it's a Mishnah in Kiddushin. We will be getting there eventually. Rabbi Tarfan Omer, Yecholin Mamzerim Litaher. Rabbi Tarfan wants to know, can a mamzer, or rather he states that a mamzer can purify themselves? And then the question is, Ketan, how can one do that? Mamzer nasa shifcha, havlad eved, shichruro, nimtza ben chorin. If a mamzer, if somebody who is born in one of these illicit sexual relationships, marries a shifcha, meaning a non-Jewish maidservant, which is allowed, then the, their child will be born an eved, a slave, then you could release that slave from the child, right, from, from servitude. And then and he will be a free man. And again, assuming a man, and then he could marry anybody, meaning, and there you kind of remove that forever taint of the mamzer. Alma Batar Dida So then it seems that we're following the mother in terms of status because the mother was the shifcha, and the child becomes a, an eved, as opposed to saying the, the child follows the father's mamzirut. Shani hatam, but the Gemara says, no, that's a different case to Amar. I mean, it's a different, it, it doesn't work as a as a good refutation of the Rabbi Yochanan statement about the Egyptian converts. Because the case of a slave, first of all, has an explicit verse saying that the wife and the child will belong to the to the master, meaning that 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 kind of 
explicit what once you have a verse that states something explicitly you can't just use logic to get out of it even though it seems like oh that would make sense here we could say well it's always following the mother it's following the mother here because there's a verse saying to do so so then that's not a matter of um of a general principle about always following the mother it's explicit because of the slave case fine Mativrava. So Rava now raised an objection. Rava's objection is as follows. Amar Yehuda says, Minyamin ger mitri hayali chaver mitalmidei Rabbi Akiva. Now, Minyamin has shown up in our dapin before. I don't know if we actually talked about him. I think we did not. But um, he was he had a known identity here. He was an Egyptian convert, and he was among the students of Rabbi Akiva, not those later five, but the first many, many, many students of Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Huda says, this Egyptian convert was my friend, right? I'm, a, um, I'm sorry, I lost the place. Here we go. Chaver, I had a friend, Rabbi Akiva, amongst the students of Rabbi Akiva. And Minyamin married a first-generation Egyptian convert uh, a woman from that population. So he says he's going to marry off his son. Now, keep in mind, we're now at the second generation Egyptian convert. And he says he's going to marry him to an, another second generation Egyptian convert. So that the grandchild, which will be the third generation, will be eligible to marry those who are born Jewish. So if you want to say that we're going to follow the father when he's marrying off his son to a first-generation convert, even then, then that grandchild should be permitted to marry Kahal Hashem, right? Why would Minyamin be so careful to make sure that his son is going to marry a second-generation convert, Egyptian convert, if he could have married a first-generation Egyptian convert also, and still had the grandchild be eligible to marry into Kaal Hashem. Uh, so the so the Gemara here says, well, so didn't Rabbi Yochanan already say that that you should teach me because this was again I said he showed up earlier. Minyamin showed up earlier. You should teach that Minyamin looked to marry his son to a first generation. Egyptian Egyptian convert, meaning Rava's story of Rabbi Yehuda's story about about Minyamin and his care and his great care to marry his child to a second generation Egyptian convert is a different version of the story where Rabbi Yochanan said that Minyamin was trying to marry his son to a first generation Egyptian convert. He had to Ravdimi Rabbi Yochanan when Ravdimi came from Israel to to Bavel, he said. The Rabbi Yochanan had said just the opposite. So, namely, if you have a second-generation man, Egyptian convert, who marries a first-generation female Egyptian convert, then the son is considered a second-generation convert, in contrast to what we read at the very beginning, which said that he the, the son would be third. Alma batar So, therefore, Rabbi Yochanan, meaning, again, we're trying to figure out what Rabbi Yochanan Really thinks in terms, or really Paskins in terms of what when you hit the third generation. But according to Rav Dimi, Rabbi Yochanan saying this is we're gonna the child is gonna follow the mother, and in that case, 
Again, the child will not yet be eligible to marry into Kal Hashem. Amar le'abaye, elahad amar Reb Yochanan, he frish chatat mubert v'alada, ratsa mitkaper ba, ratsa mitkaper bivlada. So Abaye says, well, what you're talking about then, when you're talking about Reb Yochanan, we have another statement from Reb Yochanan in what feels like a completely different context that will hopefully shed light here. Namely, if you have an animal that is designated as a korban chatat, and that animal is pregnant, and then that animal later gives birth, and the the progeny of the animal is going to be is female, and he wants to then mitzkaper, um, he wants to have atonement from the mother. Then you leave that young. We've talked about this in the past that the the baby animal is going to graze or whatever until there's some blemish that renders it unfit for sacrifice. Meaning the whole goal is you're you're offering the mother animal as a sacrifice, but not the baby animal as a sacrifice. So then, you know, the animal gets a blemish and it can be sold and then you could use that money for whatever, including korban, right? And then that's how you would gain you would get your kapara through the through the child, through the baby of the animal, right? And then the mother that was originally designated to be a chatat would also be left to graze until she gets a blemish. Okay. Um I want to stop here, but I want to point out that what's happening is there's a whole, the next of the, I I guess I can't quite stop here, but the whole discussion then says, well, is that Ubar? And this brings us back to the whole discussion of uh, what is the status of a fetus, right? Is that, is that animals um, in utero progeny um, going to be considered part of the mother? In which case, Shouldn't that just be one korban chatat? Or, you know, then the then the baby animal is born, and now you've got two potential korbanot chatat. I don't want to get... It's it's too far afield from what we're really talking about in terms of the Egyptians, but it is... It's supposed to... It functions here in the role of establishing Rabbi Yochanan's position with regard to the next generation. Ishtik, so Rav Dimi is finally silent. I don't mean finally. He's silent. He's not able to answer this whole discussion of the animals. Maybe it's different there when we're talking about the Egyptian converts because we're talking about the third generation that is born to them can then marry Kahal Hashem. So you want to say, you want to say that it's dependent on the birth, which means that the because of the birth, the child should follow the mother and not the father. So Dimi says, and this I think is a, another one of these like great Talmudic epithets, karkapana. Um, it's a skull, right? Man of a great skull. Hello, you skull person, right? But the point is that it's an honor, right? You're a person of distinction. Um, I saw your head between the pillars of the Beit Midrash when Rabbi Yochanan taught this, meaning you understood that because you heard it from Rabbi Yochanan himself. The idea here that it's going to follow the mother because, and not the father because specifically um, because it's connected to birth. The Gemara goes on um, from here, of course, and is still discussing it uh, because, of course, we're going to go back to the idea that, well, maybe it really follows the father. But I've been talking for long enough here, Dana. I'm handing it over to you. Um, you know, one question I do have about this whole discussion, because our next mission is going to get into a different topic is, you know, there were still Egyptians around, but 
as far as I know, like Amon and Moab by the time of the Gemara didn't really exist anymore. So it is amazing again to see pages spent on this. And again, I think it's more of a David Hamelach issue, less about going forward and more about our history and looking backwards. Well, that's interesting. I think for the Egyptians, I think there was a, a certain right, I, practical need. Yes, Egyptians, yeah. Uh, they don't exist anymore then. So I, I, I just right. want to point that out. It just, you know, it struck me today. Um, all right, I'm going to move on to the new Mishnah. Mamzerim, Nitin, and Asurim. So Mazerim and Nitinin, who we talked about yesterday, um, are not allowed to marry into the Kahal. The Isurin, Isurim, and their prohibition is perpetual, meaning... There's no way for them to get out of it with any generations. Echad zaharim, the echad nekevot, both for males and females. Way we have a statement with Reish Lakish. I'm a Reish Lakish. Mamzeret lachar saratoro muteret. That a mamzeret after ten generations actually is allowed. And so the Gemara is going to go through how can Reish Lakish actually say that uh, because it seems to be a direct uh, uh, contradiction. Um, and they finally conclude, I'm not going to read the whole thing, there's a Gezer Shava that's involved, uh, but their their conclusion is this ruling of Reish Lakish, right, that after 10 generations it would be allowed, is according to the one who says, has uses this principle of do mine umina in terms of, uh, you know, learning, uh, in terms of learning something from Sukim. And Haman to Amar Dunin Mine Uke Baatre. Whereas our Mishnah uh, is one who says derive it from from place, but you have to derive it from its own context. So in other words, what I want to point out is this is actually a very uh, this is a machlokas about between Rabbi Elezer and Rabbi Yeshua that it has to do with how do we learn Gizera Shava. We've talked about this before. It's kind of we'll see it again in Hulan, right? That we have this principle of Gizera Shava where you take uh, a, you know, a phrase or a word in one place and apply it to how it is in another place where you say you can learn something from these contexts. Um, and so here what this is talking about is, is that when we use Gezeira Shava, right, we we use it in its entirety, basically. So the law that we're going to learn from one place has to take on all the characteristics from the place that you're learning it from. Um, but Rabbi Yeshua basically holds that that derived law um, has to assume the characteristics of the context to which it actually applies. So what that would mean is, is that we use the Gezer Shara to derive, but we can apply, but but then we have to apply the rules a, a, as well. So, uh, you know, just spend a little bit of time. You may have a Gemara that you're using that explains some of this a little bit, but essentially what this is, is it's a machlokas between Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Eliezer over how does Gezer Shava work? Rish Lakish, interestingly, holds like uh, Rabbi Eliezer of Dun Mine Umina, um, which would essentially in this case mean that if you derive the Amon case from Mamzer, right? Um, so what that means is, is that, and Mamzer is perpetual, right? Meaning we keep uh, deriving from it. So just as we say for Amon, after 10 generations for female, it would be okay. That also, therefore, has to be true about Mamzer. So again, it just has to do with how do you learn Gezer Sheva? How do you apply the different contexts? And Reish Lucky shows like Rabbi Eliezer, and our Mishnah is like Rabbi Yoshua. Um, later on, what this Gemara does is, is it gets into 
the whole discussion, how do we know that Nitinin are not allowed to marry in? So we talked about that yesterday, that they're actually uh, from the Givonim. And we basically learned that actually this came from the time of David Amelch. I'm a Rav Bar Ada, Nitinin David Gazar Alehem. So David Amelch was the one who made that Gazera, right? Shanamar, Baikra Melch, Bagivonim, Bayom Alehem, Bagivonim, Lomi Bene Israel, Hema. So this is from Shmuel Bet, chapter 21, that, you know, King David basically calls him and he says, you're actually not part of, you know, B'nai Israel, and therefore you're not going to be allowed to marry. My time is our lose. So what's the reason? So the reason is, is that, again, and this is in the same parak that there was a, a famine for three years. So the first year, right, he said to B'nai Israel after the first year of the famine, he said, maybe there's some idol worshipers. Like, why is it that we're having this famine? So this is specifically from Devarim chapter 11, where it basically says that if you don't, um, if you worship other uh, gods, then God is going to make sure that there's no, um, uh, if you do Avodah Zarah, Hashem will make sure that there's no rain. So he said, maybe that's why. So they look and they didn't find anybody doing Avodah Zarah. So in the second year, he's, David says to the people, basically, maybe there's somebody doing like, uh, you know, uh, promiscuous sexual behavior. So again, they're quoting a pasuk now from Yermiyahu, Paragimel, right, which says, so here this is saying that rain is withheld, you know, because of, of the boldness of a harlot woman. Again, they check, they don't see that this is the issue. So he says in the third year, maybe there are people who are pledging to give charity in public and then they don't actually give. And now he quotes Basuk from from uh, Mishlei chapter twenty five, which says Dirtiv Nisim Viruh Vikesham in Ishmitalel Vimatat Shekar. There are clouds and winds, but the rain is not there, for a man louds himself with false gifts. So again, the idea is, is that a man pretends to pledge charity and doesn't give, and then there's no rain. But again, they look and it's not that. So David Amalek is sitting there, it's the third year of a famine, can't figure out what the chait is. Amar, so David says, So he says, it must be my fault. Miad, right? So immediately, David inquires, Maki, what, what's meant by this? He goes to the Urim Vitumim. Remember, that's the breastplate that the coin Gaza wears. My mashma, and what was, the, what was it? I'm a Rabbi Eliezer, Ate Pene Pene. It comes from, again, we have now another Gezer Shava of before and before. Okay, so what's the Gezer Shava here? Ketiva Chabayvakesh David Epine Hashem. All right, so we had this Patsuk and Shmuel in that same chapter about the Givonim uh, in chapter 21 that has, that David inquires of Pene Hashem. Uketiva Tam Vishaal Lo Bemishpata Urim Lipne Hashem. And it's written uh, there, and there what we're talking about is in Bamidbar, chapter 27, right? It says, and he shall inquire uh, from the Urim, uh, inquire from the Urim Vitumen. So what this, what this, you know, so they're just explaining that sort of, 
how the idea is that you can inquire from the Urim Viturim. Fine, with the Gezer Shava. So what does Hashem reply? So Hashem basically replies that the famine is for Shaul and for the house of blood and for him having killed uh, the Givonim. Again, this all is in the same parak in Shmuel. Bet. El Shaul Shalonis Padka So what does it mean it's for Shaul? Not that Shaul caused it, but that Shaul, right, uh, was not properly eulogized. Bel Beitamim for the house of blood, that's a sin of Shaul himself, and for having killed the Givonim. So where do we know that Shaul killed the Givonim? It's not that he actually killed the Kohanim, but we know that he uh, massacred, he killed all of these Kohanim uh, in the city of Nov uh, after the after the Mishkan of Shiloh was destroyed. So the the Mishkan actually goes to, uh, sorry, after Shiloh is destroyed, the Mishkan goes to Nov. And again, we have uh, Doig, the, the Admoni here again, and uh, he basically leads the king to believe that the Kohanim support David. And so what does Shaul do? He kills all the Kohanim there. Vichim um, Matsanu writes, uh, uh, sorry, so then we goes on said, Shayu Masbihim Lahemayim Umazon. They supplied the Givonim with water and food. So it says, if he killed them himself. So in other words, because Yeshua made sure that the Givonim with the wood choppers and the wood carriers in the in the Beit HaMikdash, in the Mishkan, and they did these chores, they did these things also in Nov. So they were basically supported by the Kohanim. So once he killed the Kohanim, the Givonim basically lost their ability to uh, to support themselves. So we kill, by killing the Kohanim, it's like he killed the Givonim. And so then the Gemara says, ha- so wait, how could Hashem basically expect or demand that, uh, you know, that we would properly eulogize Shmuel uh, and at the same time say that the famine is because he killed the Givonim? In other words, it doesn't make sense. So the Gemara then answers, right? In the Amarish Lakish, Rish Lakish says, My Dirtiv, what's the meaning? So again, now they quote a Pasuk in Safania. Um, and the idea basically is that you still have to sort of mention somebody's uh, uh, good deeds. So this is now going to go on until the next stop. It's much, much longer. I don't want to keep reading it. Uh, but basically what the idea is, is that essentially what happens is, is that David comes and he says, look, it's been over 12 months since Shaul died. It's not really uh, a- a- appropriate uh, for us to, uh, you know, for us to um, to eulogize him um, anymore. Um, but but there's still sort of this issue with the Nitinim and the Givonim. Um, and so he basically, then it talks about that he basically calls them this whole interaction with them. Um, and uh, I, I actually think if you read the whole thing, um, uh, you know, um, you know, he tries to basically show that maybe they really shouldn't be sort of, uh, they shouldn't really be part of the nation because they don't have some of the characteristics. They don't have Rachamim uh, the way that uh, Jewish people do. And once he discovers they don't have Rachamim, then he says that they shouldn't marry. I, I, interesting because 
it starts off with a premise that sort of Shaul didn't treat the Givonim correctly. There was like an injustice done to them. And then sort of in a way to stop the, I guess the famine, you know, David comes and he's like, oh, well, I'm going to show Hashem that actually the Givonim are the ones who aren't good. But that really wasn't the point of what Hashem said. So I actually found this Kamara to be very puzzling. You'll read the rest of the conclusion of it on tomorrow's DAP. And I don't know if you have a good explanation for what exactly is going on here. Because obviously Hashem would know that the Gibonim did not have Rachamim. So it's almost like, I don't know, like David Hamel to me is doing something that's like a little tricky. That almost loses the point of what Hashem was trying to tell him. Um, I, I think I always thought that. That David Amelch is doing something a little trickier. But I will say this the presence of David Amelch here now makes your case on the discussion about the generations of the converts all that much more convincing, I think. Or at least that there is something to it in the way that Chazal are building the 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 Dapim, like even when it seems that they don't have so much to do with each other, right? Because this story doesn't really seem to have to do with the generations of the converts. And yet it also kind of really does. I mean, the Amonamoav, I mean, but it also kind of really does because we're still pay, pay, paying attention to lineage and heritage and so on. I, I don't know. I, you convinced me. Interesting. I didn't even think of that until you mentioned it. But I think you're right. There's something. These Dapim are super David Hamel heavy. And um, I agree with you. There's something going on about David Hamel here. Uh, okay. I guess I was right. The Gemara just proved me again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydrum website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, 